Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And that's about as far as we got last week. We worked through those parts. Continuing on verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Last week, under the title, Preach the Word, <clears throat> we talked about what that looked like in terms of the practical application of these encouraging words, challenging words that come from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. We said first that there was the priority of the preached word, and that can, be, that can never be sacrificed. It can never be compromised. It can never be abdicated in terms of what the church is to look like. You can have teaching ministries. You can have small groups. You can have ministry opportunities, but there must always be the proclamation of the word. We use the word kerygma. That is that, that preached word, the proclamation, and it's always a part of our responsibility. And in our day, uh, there are many different ways. I mean, you, 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 go to, you go to Bible college or you go to seminary, and uh, they will give you uh, instructional courses on how to preach. They call that homiletics, how to preach. And there can be a multitude of different styles. You can preach narrative. You can preach with a, with a, with a manuscript. You can preach expository. You can preach topically. You can, there can be a multitude of ways in which that preaching occurs. And, and some people have a preference, one over another. Uh, I, I guess if I was in the category, I, I've always tended to go with an expository kind of thing, where you where you take a, a text and you 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 pull it apart and you put it together and you find the application. And that that there are many different ways of doing that. Some some pastors preach topically, and you hit one issue after another and and what the Bible has to say about that. Hopefully it's what the Bible has to say about anything. But in, in this particular challenge here, it's to preach the word, not just the homily, just to preach, not just to say something, but it's focused upon the word. Preach that word. It was a solemn charge. We talked about that and the whole concept of it being something that we do in the face of God. And it called for constant preparedness. Be instant, as while one translation says, be ready, be prepared in season and out of season. One translation says, take the opportunity and make the opportunity. When God has orchestrated a series of things and you're able to connect with people and you're able to dialogue with them, God has prepared all that and it's just right and that's taking the opportunity. But there are the other times 
when perhaps you need to make the opportunity where 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 you just kind of see if that fruit is ready, see if that person is ready to receive further dialogue, further content, further truth. Take the opportunity and make the opportunity in a, in a, in a season or an attitude of constant preparedness. And then we talked about it conveyed a clear purpose and yeah, I guess we're getting, getting there. And it talked about three words that we went into a little bit in terms of correct, rebuke, and courage along the way. Correct simply means, simply meant to bring something to the light. Uh, if someone is not aware of the truth, you make the correction. You, you bring them to light. When, when, you, when we're previously, when we were launching astronauts to the moon, periodically you would make a mid-course correction to make sure that they were still on the right track. It was just some things you needed to do and, and make some preparations along the way to make sure you got where you were intending to go, where you needed to go. To rebuke, we said, occurs 29 times in the New Testament, and it's not something we love to do, but it's something that needs to be done where you, where you just bring the truth right very forcefully and encourage a change in behavior, a change of course as well. <clears throat> where you rebuke that person and you say, and, and it's not like you're trying to hammer on them. It's just that you're trying to urge them to give consideration to the truth of the preached word and then to encourage them. We said that was a, <clears throat> a word that described the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the, the paracleto, the one, the paraclete, the one that comes alongside us to walk with us, one who is called to walk with us. And that's what that word of encouragement is all about. Now today I want to look at the other three, three verses of this portion, verses 3, 4, and 5, and, and look at some of the pieces there. And, and so the first part uh, in, in the continuation of this preach the word message is there are alarming dangers. And so there's the phrase that I want to focus on for a moment. When As you preach the word, here, here are some things you need to give attention to, Paul says. Timothy, look, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll gather around themselves a number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There are dangers. And whenever the church of Christ penetrates the community, the society in which it's called to serve, it's going to run into a, a mindset, a belief system that is contrary to what the scriptures will teach because the world has its own drum that they march to. They, they, they listen to that one along the way. And so there are dangers. We need to be aware of that. And the first one is in verse 3, and it's simply an intolerance of sound doctrine. People will come, the time will come, they will not put up with sound doctrine. Uh, if, I were <coughs> if I was going to project something, uh, you know, about the alliance, we, we talk about doctrine. And for, for some people, doctrine is just a dusty, dusty word. It's just kind of like, it's like eating sawdust, you know. You're, oh, boy. Oh, we're going to have a sermon that's going to talk about doctrine today. And it's like, oh, okay, wake me up when it's over, you know, kind of like, 
give me the anesthesia, put me to sleep, take the tooth out, and then bring me back. You know, sometimes people respond to doctrine, but doctrine simply means, simply is teaching. We use the word kerygma to preach. We use the word didache to teach. We get our word didactic from that. It's just simply things that you teach. And there can be this intolerance of sound doctrine. If you go on the Alliance website, cmalliance.org, <clears throat> you can go under and tab, uh, check on the tab that says beliefs, and it'll pop up an 11-point statement of faith that uh, describes what the Alliance adheres to in their doctrine, in their teaching. You can further click a little bit low before and you'll find a little bit lower and you'll find a thing that talks about the core values of the alliance. What we believe is, is very much at the heart. It's, it's kind of another application of the truth of a doctrinal statement, but it'll talk about eight core values. You know, prayer is the primary work of the people of God. God owns everything. He's, he's the one that, that has ownership of it all and we are simply managers of what, what God has given to us. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. That was number one. I just kind of lost sequence there. But, but the point is that there are eight of those things enumerated, and they are all part of the teaching of the doctrine of the alliance. So if someone says, well, what does your church believe? You can say, well, look, come on, let's go and sit down. Here's the grocery list. I'm, I mean, I, I don't expect that you'll be able to spout off all 11 points of the statement of faith or be able to get Eight core values, I, I, that's not my expectation for you to be a walking encyclopedia that is able to spit that stuff out like a, some kind of Watson computer. But, but there's, there's a doctrine, there's a teaching that the Alliance has. It may be different than some other church or, 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 or denomination, fellowship, whatever, but these are the things that are at the core of what they are about. But Paul's concern here is that there will come a point in time when there will be this intolerance, they will not endure, they will not put up with sound doctrine. Now, regardless of what the doctrine is, there's coming a time, Paul says to Timothy, when people will have none of it. They won't put up with it. They will not endure it. Now, I don't know if today is the day in which that era is, seems to be more prevalent than others. It seems like people have always been given over to believe strange stuff. And <clears throat> if you notice from time to time, even in the missional piece of the service, it's not unusual, whether it's in Africa or South America or North America, wherever it's not unusual for people to be rather eclectic in their belief. They'll pick up a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of witchcraft and a little bit of animism and a little bit of the, And that is the stuff that dilutes doctrine because it creates the wider umbrella. You can believe anything and everything and you'll still be accepted. You can still be able to get to God uh, because you just kind of pull a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, sound doctrine focuses upon what God's word says. It's the thus saith the Lord. It's the Bible says. It's a Billy Graham phrase. The Bible says. And, and you base your life upon what God's word says. It was there, The danger is that there will be this intolerance of sound doctrine. Now, 
I know that uh, doctrine is not the most exciting thing to talk about in the ministry of the church, but it is a thing that becomes the foundational stuff of the church. You can window dress a church with everything else, but if the doctrine is bad, if the foundation is bad, the building's eventually going to crumble. It's not going to last. And there's a difference. Sound doctrine is a key piece. So make sure that you are in that word. Make sure you are uh, uh, taking in that word, making it practical application in your own world. Uh, that's, that's a part of the development of doctrine. Instead, he says, here's a problem. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They turn their ears away. So we're going to talk for a moment about an ear problem. Okay? An ear problem. Have you had your hearing checked lately? Do they do? I mean, I remember when I'd go to school, even as a kid, they would do they would do the hearing check. You'd go get, you know, so you'd put these earmuffs on or headphones. I guess they weren't earmuffs, but headphones, you know, and they you plugged in and it's tell me when you hear this, you know, and you go through it here. And uh, so a number of years ago now, not too many, but when we were in Johnstown, this would be 2007 to 2014 range. Uh, I I knew that I had a hearing issue and found it more difficult. Now, did you see what my wife just did? Sure. <coughs> yeah, you tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I have some hearing loss in my left ear. And so I went to uh, you know one of the one of the places that uh, talked to some of the people in the congregation, and they said, "Well, we'd like to go up here." And so I satisfied the product. So I went up there, fitted for hearing aid which I don't wear usually. And if I wanted to wear it all the time, my wife is convinced that I would be able to hear her better. But, but, but when she says something and I ask her to repeat it, do you know what she does? She whispers. How is that helpful? How is that? But that's another issue. That's another issue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go there. And maybe we can edit that out of the. So, but but or I'll deal with this later. I'm going to get it later. But the point is that they have an ear problem. I have an ear problem, in hearing issue. And so there are times when when someone is talking, and I will just kind of lean into them a little bit. Or the children when they're talking down at your kneecaps, you know, you got to get down. And so I'll lean into them a little bit. I have a good friend of mine. Uh, Larry, who is in the New Cumberland Church, and he's had a hearing problem for a number of years. And whenever we see, he says, I can't hear out of the left ear. And I can never keep track whether it's the left ear or the right ear. So I don't know. When I sit next to him, I don't know whether I'm sitting on the good side or the bad side. It's one of those kind of deals. And so we often go around on that and say, well, should I be sitting here? Should I be sitting there? So I can make sure that he can be heard, that I can be heard, and that I can hear him. So we have this, we have this ongoing kind of thing in terms of positioning. Two kinds of ear problems here. The first one is itching ears. Is itching ears. Now, I, I, I don't want to get into, do you have itchy ears? I'm, I, I'm physically. Do your ears itch at times? I, I don't know if you do. What do you do to deal with that? Do you get a Q-tip out? Do you put your finger in and go, 
like that? You know, does it make does it help it better? But here's a situation where it's described as itching ears. Your ears are itchy. So look at it for just a second. They'll suit their inner designs. They'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Itching ears. And we use that phrase. You know, I'm itching to hear what you're going to say. And what we mean by that is you're getting anxious to hear something. You really want to get something. You really want to hear something. But, but this itching ear problem is hearing what they want to hear, what they want to have said. They will get their itching ears what they want to hear. There are people who do not go back to churches that they visit because they didn't hear what they wanted to hear. Sometimes they hear stuff that's too much in their face. Sometimes they hear stuff that's too critical kind of thing. I, I, I had an interesting experience on Thursday of this week where I met with a fellow from the local water company to move a meter. Tom came, introduced himself to me, I soon found out that his wife had served for uh, tw eight, 14, 14 months, I think, maybe f not more than four, more, not more than 18 months, as a United Methodist pastor. And I'm not picking on any Methodist kind of thing, but just uh, just their journey. And uh, and he was describing some of the some of the challenges that he was he had experienced, he and his wife had experienced, in terms of going in and becoming a a pastor at a church, uh, and and she was the pastor of the church. He was in the lay ministry kind of thing. And uh, one of the problems was that resulted in this short stay was that they changed the hymns of the church. They, they didn't they didn't sing the right hymns, and so people began to complain. Now I know you don't. You don't do that, at least to our face. You don't do that. You know, well, no, you don't do that. I know you. But, but that created some problems, and so it resulted in that gal just could not continue in ministry. She, I mean, that was one of the things. She tried to make some other changes, and they said, no, we don't want to do that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff. They had in mind what they wanted to hear. And so for some churches, it's, you got to preach on these five topics, and that's the thing that's going to be. If you preach on those five subjects, if you be, if you reinforce those things, maybe maybe you're a part of a church that, that has a strong position about eternal security. That when you come to faith in Christ, there's no way that you can get out of that, or you'd walk away from it, or whatever. And you have a strong position, and so you you hammer on that, and you 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 focus upon the security of the believer. So he can do anything, anything he wants. And it's never going to jeopardize that relationship in terms of his eternal destiny with God. Now, regardless of where you come down in terms of typically where you talked about a Calvinistic interpretation and an Armenian position, you know, the work of God and the work of man, how those two fit together in the, in the paradox of belief and the mystery of faith, is it, it's an interesting dialogue. But some people will not go to a church that does not believe a certain particular theological position. 
unless you're a five-point tulip person. Uh, I'm not interested in going to your church because you don't believe this. And people will just simply make their mind up that they're not going to go to that church because they don't believe what they want to hear. They don't want to hear anything else than what they have in mind. They're itching ears. But beyond that, they're not only itching ears, but they're turned ears. And there's the further language. They will turn, verse 4, away. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It seems that there seem to be two directions <clears throat> for their ears to turn. One is to truth. The other is to myths. And literally, if it's not the truth, it may as well be a myth. The truth comes from the based word of God. It's the thus saith the Lord. It's the, it's the preaching of the word. And if their ears are turned, the people will, there will come this time when people will, well, not only they'll, they'll like to get around them, number of teachers who say what they want to hear, what they want to hear, or else they'll turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It is, it is always a challenge to convey truth, the truth of the gospel to people, and keep them on what Jesus described as a narrow road that leads to life and a broad way, the path of the myth, it leads to destruction. These were dangers that Paul said, Timothy, these are going to happen. You better be alert, alerted to it, aware of it, be concerned about it. But the time is going to come when there will not be this tolerance of sound doctrine. There will rather be intolerance. And people are going to have an ear problem in terms of itching and turned ears. There's another final piece in this portion of scripture that calls for what is a grocery list, if you will, of four things that Paul urges Timothy to give attention to. It's a fourfold ministry calling is what I would describe it in verse five. But you, Timothy, young man in the faith, you do these four things. And so here they are. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. I told you when we began this particular message that this is often a charge that is brought to a pastor in installation into a ministry assignment. And it's often a very popular portion of scripture to use. And, and that fifth verse itself would, would really do well as a, as a good focus point for any pastor in terms of starting in his ministry calling or continuing in ministry calling. Keep your head. What do we, we have a phrase we said? The person lost their head. Now they, obviously, they can severed. I suppose there are probably situations in which that could happen. But the, the point is that simply you've lost your head. You, 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 just, you just didn't keep everything in control. Here the language is, keep your head. Keep your head in all situations. How do you keep your head? When you have somebody in your face, 
who's just kind of giving you what for and telling you all the things that were the problem, that kind of thing. Uh, how do you keep your head in that? We were listening to this uh, message by David Jeremiah on the way up. I was talking about discouragement. And he was, he was saying that every once in a while, he said more often than you probably realize, I get a really a lot of hate mail that just get after me. He said, because, you know, I have the teaching ministry, a radio ministry, more than just speaking at the church that he serves at, that kind of thing. He said, one time he says, I had a good friend of mine by the name of R.C. Sproul. And I was talking with him one day, and he said, he said, R.C., he said, uh, do you ever get... Do you ever get this hate mail kind of stuff? And he says, all the time. All the time. He said, well, how do you how do you keep your head in that whole situation? How do you stay, how do you handle that? What do you do? He said, well, he said, when I get these letters from people, he said, I will write back to them and, his, and I will say, uh, dear so-and-so, whoever signed the letter, sometimes they get signed, sometimes they don't. But anyway, that's another issue. But you write back to them and say, listen, he said, I just want you to know, some idiot has been writing using your name to complain about this particular problem. And so that was one way that he kept his head about things in terms of trying to just kind of put you know, put a different humor point on it. That kind of, Keep your head. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do. Sometimes you lose your mind. <laughs> Sometimes you lose your tongue. You lose your patience. You lose instead of keeping. And it's not an easy thing, but Paul's urging to Timothy is keep your head in all situations. Uh, I think about the only way you can do that is make sure that you are kept in Christ, that you are in him tight. And that's about the only way that it's going to work, because otherwise, if you're left to your own devices, you're going to, you're going to lose it real quick. You just... So I'm down to my last nerve, and you're chewing on it right now, and it's not going to last real long, you know. Uh, keep your head. And then he says, endure hardship. Oh, we, we, let's sign up for that one. Let's get, it. let's get a big line on it. Endure hardship. Well, couldn't we just leave that one out? How about a threefold charge instead of fourfold charge? How about, how about a ministry calling that doesn't have to endure hardship? Well, we know that sometimes there is a purpose and, a, and an outcome and pro product that can be developed when we endure hardship. You know, you, you say, Lord, give me patience. Well, hurry up, you know, that kind of thing. But it's in the enduring kind of mode that we learn. Does God give us patience? Or one movie will say, does God give you a situation in which you can learn patience. So endure the hardship. And the hardship is is more than just, oh, I'm impatient about this. It's it's the stuff that comes at you that causes you to shake, to, to wonder, well, what is this all about? I didn't like the fact that persecution came. That's hardship. That's the challenge that comes Paul says, I want you to endure that. The language is not complicated in this. You can figure out what enduring is. You can figure out what in hardship is. I don't have to give you a Greek word for it to, to get the picture that sometimes hard stuff comes. That's a hard place. People are in hard places all the time. 
There are situations over which they don't have control. There are things that impacted their life. Got an email notice or Facebook notice or whatever from a, from a family friend of, of ours whose son was involved and his wife and two children, I think, were in the car with him. And they were hit by a drunk driver going 110 miles an hour. And they survived. They all survived. I mean, they show scenes, uh, wreckage, and blew through a garage. And just, I mean, it's amazing that anybody survived. But they survived. That's a hardship. I mean, there's bumps and bruises. There's probably concussion kind of things. There's no more vehicle that you're going to jump into real quick and drive away. It's just all of that, it's hardship that stuff comes over which they didn't have control. They didn't ask for that. But it's a part of the path that they walk on right now, currently. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to endure that. Let it go. You will go through that, the hard spot, but endure it. It doesn't mean you have to love it. doesn't mean you have to stay there, but it means, it means that's a part of the journey. And you've got to be able to keep your head in all things, but to endure even the hard stuff that comes. And then he says, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. And I think what that piece in terms of ministry calling is, is always reminding us there are other people who need to hear the message of the gospel of Christ. Someone described evangelism in the simplest of terms, and I love this definition. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. That can be very helpful. You don't have to have a definition of evangelism. Evangelism is taking the good news of the gospel to people who have need and seeing them come to faith in Christ. You, you, can, you can spread that out like that. But I like the simple definition where a person says, you know, I got something that was food for my soul. It gave me life. And I found it in this. That's simply telling somebody else what you found. And it doesn't mean you have to prove the case. It doesn't mean you have to be able to give 11 tenets of faith in terms of sound doctrine to somebody. It simply says, I found life in Jesus, and I believe that you can too, and here's how I found it. It's that simple. And you might be able to explain it. You might be able to be trained or equipped to be able to rationally or reasonably express that faith so that somebody can connect the dots and come to a place of expressing faith in Christ himself. But Paul here says to Timothy, that's one of the charges you have in this ministry calling. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, not everybody in the church is an evangelist. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, and it talks about a grocery list of people, of pastors, evangelists, teachers, encouragers, equippers, you can, you can find a whole grocery list, prophets. You can find a whole list of different, one of which is evangelist. Evangelism is simply based upon the good word, or the Greek word. Here's your Greek lesson for the day, euangelizo. It means to, to speak the good news of the gospel. We get our word evangelize. It's telling good news. And it ought to be good news for us. It ought not to be like drinking sauerkraut juice. You know, here, I want you to come to church and do this. You know, just ugh, kind of thing. You know, it ought to be good news. It's the best news that you ever had. At some point in time, someone told you where to get food for your soul, and you came to that point, 
and you embraced it. And now our task is to simply to do the work of an evangelist, to simply tell other people where the good news is to be found. And sometimes that is work. Sometimes you have to take the opportunity and make the opportunity. You say, well, sometimes, how do you know if somebody's ready or not? Well, the only way you're going to find out if somebody's ready to receive Christ as a personal Savior is simply ask them. When you won the right to be heard and you are equipped to be able to help somebody find their way, then simply ask it just a kind of a leading question, a probing question, you know. What do you think about that? Have you understand this? Is this what you understand about the gospel? Have you come to a place in your life where you've, where you've made that profession of faith in Christ? And, and you just do that work. In season, out of season. Take the opportunity, make the opportunity. Do the work of evangelists. And then one final piece, discharge your duties. Discharge your duties. And it doesn't even tell you what those duties are. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, some pastors don't like all the duties of the ministry. You know, when you come into a church sitting, setting, there are a multitude of things. Depending upon the size of the church, it can be even more complicated. But there's, there's preaching, there's teaching, there's administration, there's visitation. Although in these days, visitation is really a difficult thing. You're going to have to do it electronically or, or vision, you know, remotely or whatever. I mean, it was a normal part of my ministry going up where I visit with people in their homes or hospital or nursing homes or where now they won't even let you in. It's just it's just a whole different world. But there have got to be ways in which we can do that work, make that connecting point. That's all part. It can be very different in terms of what a ministry assignment will look like. It, perhaps in, in in each ministry assignment there will be a different need for shifting of those responsibilities. Maybe some need to be given more important emphasis. Perhaps evangelism is an important emphasis for a church at this season in its life. Not so much maybe the administration or teaching side of things, but maybe the preaching side. It can vary from place to place. But Paul says here, I, here's the charge. I want you to discharge all the duties of your ministry. Not just the ones you like to do, but all of them. And there are times when we might prefer to have one thing or another we would like to do, but that's not always the thing that we need to do. So the charge in these first five verses of the fourth chapter, preach the word. That's the heart of it. Preach the word. And here's the charge. I want you to be ready when the time is ripe and when the time needs to be cultivated. I want you to correct, bring truth to light to help people get to the point where they can understand the reality of the truth. I want you to rebuke when that's needed. I want you to encourage, and that's always needed. He says, I want you to be careful because there are dangerous times that are coming. Not only, there are other portions of Scripture where Paul will talk about how ugly the world is going to get in those last day kinds of things. But here in this ministry, Calling, he says, I want you to be aware of that, and and then do those charges that are part of that calling that God has for you. Keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, discharge your duties. In a church that seems to be more reflective of the world than the word in our day, we are to be on guard to uphold 
the primacy of the word as the only rule of faith and practice doctrine. As goes the place and regard for the word of God, so goes the church. So the question comes down, how are we regarding his word in our life today, in my life today? I'm convinced that when we give it the preeminence that it needs and deserves, your life can make an eternal difference in connection with people around you as you live in light of the soon appearing of Christ, as Paul began the fourth chapter, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of the appearing of his kingdom, do this. It's always a challenge for us to be able to do that all in a balanced manner. But by God's grace, he'll give us wisdom to march even in that area too. We join me as we pause for prayer. Father, this place today is filled with individuals who are different places in their journey, have different ministry opportunities, different arenas, different circles of friends, circle of influence. And yet each one hears this word today and the charge that came to a young man in ministry and similarly comes to us today. We have to be people of the word. May, may we be known as people who love your word, who, who esteem the words of your mouth more than our necessary food. We're people who are, who are called to be in connection with other people, and, and sometimes you orchestrate things wonderfully, and you bring a person just the right time, and we're able to speak the truth, and it seems like things get lit up. Other times it maybe isn't quite ripe, not quite ready yet, but we keep on being faithful, and we focus on the word, and we, we take advantage of the opportunities. And sometimes we help bring truth to light, and we correct things so people can understand the truth of the gospel better. And other times we have to rebuke, and other times there is a ministry of encouragement that comes. We need that. And there are other charges that you bring to us. Now all give us the opportunity to connect with people. And I pray by your great grace that you always... Help us to remember that we are ambassadors for Christ. We may be the only gospel that people see. So help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. You put us here on this earth, not that we can just kind of come to faith and coast through to the finish line. You put us here, you put us here so that we can bring as many as possible along with us. I hear people on the political stumps saying all this week, get out and vote, bring your friends. 
Help us to have half as much passion to get on the way with you and bring our friends. May we be known as a people who live the word, preach the word, and do the work that you've called us to do. And for what you'll do in enabling us to do that, we will give you all praise. Father, I lift this fellowship before you anew and afresh. I pray that you will help them to be in the word. May the word dwell in them richly in Christ Jesus. I pray that you'll give them opportunity to serve you this week as they move, having entered to worship, and now exit to serve you for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. And amen.